Hello and welcome to another edition of the Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti, and with me is Jared Riddick of Book of Mormon Central. Yep, here to here again. We draw towards the close. Yeah, we're getting there. This, this is principle seven of Joseph and Moroni. The Lord provides whatever help he understands we need. And uh, Grand can be very particular about the words that he uses, and I think that that's one of the ways that he really wants us to view what the Lord does for us. Is he helps us with what he knows we need, because he's mm-hmm. certainly smarter than we are and knows a much bigger picture than we do. But this is where we, uh, let's start about Mary Whitmer. She's Indeed. She kind of starts this She kicks this off out. the chapter. And Legrand here kind of details uh, the struggles Mary was going through. And, and Book of Mormon Central did a know why uh, on Mary Whitmer. Uh, know why, number 455. What does Mary Whitmer teach us about enduring trials, which goes along nicely with uh, Legrand's uh, title here. Yeah. About her experience where she was, we can, we can comfortably say overloaded. Yeah. With the, with the uh, extra labor that had been thrown on her, the addition of two more grown men in the house who aren't working towards the supporting the household. Yeah. yeah. And so she's feeling a little overloaded as we detail on the know why and as LeGrand mentions here, uh, just needed help. And she was granted uh, a visit by Moroni and shown the plates. And I wanted to get the exact quote that LeGrand gives because I love this quote. He says, you have been very faithful and diligent in your labors. But you are tired because of the increase in your toil. It is proper, therefore, that you should receive a witness that your faith may be strengthened. And I really liked that quote. And it's a reminder that the Lord answers the prayers of all of his children yeah. in ways that he sees they need to be answered. And this one certainly needed to be answered. The authenticity of this account has been brought into question by some. Yeah. Why is that? Some might feel the sources are too late. And they are certainly late. Because this was in the late 1800s at this point? Late 1800s, that they're published, like they appear in some form of print. I know of three specific people that relate it. David Whitmer, her son. Sarah, or sometimes known as Sally Conrad. And then in a paper that was published by the Interpreter Foundation, uh, there is also another account, I believe from a granddaughter, uh, or a a granddaughter-in-law, trying to remember the exact relation. Someone that was around and heard her say it uh, long before it was published. Uh, the person's name was the Alvira Pamela Mills Cox, and that was published in the Interpreter uh, Journal of Latter Day Saint Faith and Scholarship, number ten, uh, in twenty fourteen. And we'll probably we'll include the link in the uh, in the bio of this uh, this podcast for those who are curious and want to look. Yeah, and we talked a little in the last episode about how there were a couple descriptions that individuals gave of Moroni where he would say was looking a little bit more pedestrian than we might think. Yeah. yeah. And um, Book of Mormon Central at some point had a painting commissioned. We did. Of, of this experience. Or, I believe it'll actually be the cover art for this podcast episode. Uh-oh. So that's what we're hoping. All right. So check that out. But this is, this is a, an important event mm-hmm. in Book of Mormon history. It is. Why? Uh, for me, a couple of reasons. I, I wrote the No While Mary Whitmer, and her testimony uh, predates the testimony of three witnesses, testimony of eight witnesses. She is one of the other witnesses the Lord saw fit to show things to. But she wasn't under any obligation. Yeah, she was. That we know of. She wasn't. And it's, LeGrand points out she was shown the plates because the Lord wished to give her peace and to help her understand. 
And for me, again, it, it was a huge testimony about the Lord being mindful of the prayers of his children yeah, and answering them in ways that they needed. And this was certainly something that was going to convince Mary of the importance of the work that her son had decided to support and that these two gentlemen in her home were, were, were translating. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that other people that weren't shown it were shortchanged, like Emma didn't get to see it. Um, so was she shortchanged? No, she probably just didn't need it the same way that, that Mary did. And she was able to serve as a scribe. Yeah. And which is an awesome, we have some wonderful stories in the early restoration that we wouldn't have because of, uh, yeah. she hadn't got to do that. You mentioned the name Sarah or Sally Conrad, mm-hmm. and she's also a, an interesting figure that doesn't get much coverage. So who is she and, and how did she come into this? I believe she's Mary's niece, uh, hired shortly after this experience uh, to help her and support. And she said she would, they, the family didn't tell her what was going on because of fear of persecution and other things. They don't want to spread rumors. But she, she said she would see these men come down from an upstairs room and their faces would be aglow. And it kind of freaked her out. Uh, <laughs> like, think, what's going on? I think literally, I think she was, very, she, was, she was very disturbed and she wanted to know what was going on. And Mother Whitmer explained it to her it was because she told her what the men were doing in the room above and that the power of God was so great in that room that they could hardly endure it. At times, angels w- were in the room, uh, which nearly consumed them. And she said the light, the light that shone from Joseph and Oliver's faces came from their having been with the angels. Now, that's not something I had heard before. That's We can practically say that's a, a little bit of speculation about why it was like that. But there have been accounts of Nephi and other Book of Mormon prophets that were supposed to have visited during the translation. Um, people that had had stewardship over the record for the times it was in the Nephite nation and wanted to ensure, uh, I get the grand speculation is proper translation of the things they had written. And that's his assumption yeah. uh, on things. They also, at one point, mentions that these were all men that came and visited and um, bestowed keys. Mm-hmm. And I guess that there's you know, quotes that come from John Taylor and Wilford Woodruff and journal accounts where they're relaying similar stories Mm -hmm. of Joseph telling them these things. And usually they couch it in the language of, I suppose this is why this happened. No one quite knows for certain. Joseph and Oliver remained remarkably restrained on the subject. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. Because of the principle, the first principle, that you don't extend sacred things. Yeah. And so this idea, though, that angels came and helped Joseph translate just leads me to think that whether these accounts, again, that come from perhaps secondhand sources or thirdhand in you some know, cases, third-hand in some cases that uh, Nephi, Alma, these individuals were appearing to help with the translation, it really does show that there's so much to be said about the translation of the Book of Mormon that we just don't know mm-hmm. what took place. And therefore, when we, when we see issues that arise that may cause us to think that what really happened was like a modern day translation where someone looks at one text and translates things word for word. That, that wasn't what was happening. You don't need Spanish files would have been that. very different if that was what was going on. <laughs> exactly. So, so this, again, while the accounts don't seem to have uh, 100% trust in the accuracy of the specifics, we do have the impression that from this Sally or Sarah Conrad, that there was something very quite impressive happening. Mm-hmm. And she had no pretense to be able to explain why those things were happening, but she could witness them. Mm-hmm. And she was converted and joined the saints and yeah. uh, traveled out here to Utah. Yeah. 
Well, let me, I wanted to give one example of one of those things just before we, we go. This was President John Taylor, uh, who said he was a dear friend, and obviously, and a confidant of the prophet Joseph Smith. And he mentioned um, some of those angels by name. But this is just an example of what we're talking about. Again, who more likely than Mormon and Nephi and some of those prophets who administered to the people upon this continent under the influence of the same gospel to operate again as its representatives? Who more likely than those who had officiated in the holy Melchizedek priesthood to administer to Joseph Smith and reveal unto him the great principles which were developed? Well, now do I believe that Joseph Smith saw the several angels alleged to have been seen by him as described one after another? Yes, I do. So again, here's John Taylor kind of saying, I don't know who it was, but I, I believe it happened. He's like, I don't know who it was, but I believe that there was, there was someone there was who something. it was. Yeah. And I think that's the spirit of what LeGrand is trying to say. We have a situation that, again, he shares stories and examples where he's trying to illustrate the principle that the Lord does provide help where he understands we need it. And if you're translating golden plates from a language you don't know, Having the original authors there to help you to translate is a pretty good help it to is. make sure that it's accurate. For some people, that might be too fantastical. For some people, that makes perfect rational sense if it's at all possible for the, to have those people be there. But in essence, this is just an example of the Grand's principle. And I think this is part of the reason why we don't know too much of the translation. Yeah. Because it allows for... Interpretation. Interpretation. Yeah. So we have one more episode... In the Joseph and Moroni series, next one is we're going to talk about the, the conclusion section, and we're also going to share our thoughts on the life of LeGrand Baker, the author of this book, who passed away in the year 2018. So please stay tuned next week, and now we have a reading of Principle 7 in Joseph and Moroni. Happy listening. Seventh Principle in Joseph and Moroni the Seven Principles Moroni Taught Joseph Smith by Legrand L. Baker The Lord provides whatever help he understands we need. Mary Whitmer sees Moroni and the plates. While Joseph and Oliver were house guests, the men of the family liked having them around and were glad to help whenever they could. The visitors had little effect on the routine of their farm work, but for David's mother, Mary Whitmer, that was not the case at all. In addition to her usual chores like gathering the eggs, feeding the chickens, and milking the cows, she now had to fix extra meals, bake more bread, and wash all her guests' clothes by hand on a scrub board. It made a great deal of difference to her that there were two more grown men living in her home. Joseph had kept his promise to Moroni and had not shown the plates to anyone, so Mary didn't know he really had them. It may have seemed unfair to Mary that she should have the burden of looking after these two self-invited guests. She may have complained. If she didn't, she probably wanted to. One day, Mary went out into the barn. She was startled when she first saw an angel standing there with a knapsack over his shoulder. But his kindly appearance soon caused all her fear to go away. Her description of him was like the description of the old gentleman Joseph Oliver and her son David had talked with when they were riding in the wagon. He said to her, You have been very faithful and diligent in your labors, but you are tired because of the increase in your toil. It is proper, therefore, that you should receive a witness that your faith may be strengthened. He then untied his knapsack and showed her the golden plates. The angel turned the leaves of the book of plates over, leaf after leaf, 
and also showed her the engravings upon them, after which he told her to be patient and faithful in bearing her burden a little longer. After Mary examined the plates, the angel left the barn. She followed him because she wanted to ask him a question, but he was gone, and he had left no tracks in the newly fallen snow. The angel showing Mary the plates teaches about how the Lord looks after his children. The three witnesses and the eight witnesses saw the plates, and they were given the responsibility of testifying that they had seen them, and they were told never to deny that testimony. But Mary was not given that responsibility. She was shown the plates because the Lord wished to give her peace and to help her understand. The Testimony of Sarah Conrad Mary Whitmer never wavered in her support for Joseph Smith after she saw the angel and the plates. But she did do something to lighten her burden and make it easier to care for her family and guests. The angel had suggested that she hire someone to help her, so she hired her niece, a girl named Sarah Conrad, to live at the house and help with the chores. She did not tell Sarah what Joseph and Oliver were doing, but it did not take long for Sarah to discover that something unusual was going on. Sarah noticed that the prophet and his friend would go up into the attic and they would stay all day. When they came down, they looked more like heavenly beings than they did just ordinary men. At first, Sarah was curious, but in time their luminous appearance actually frightened her. She told her aunt how she felt and asked what made those men so exceedingly white. When Mrs. Whitmer explained to Sarah about the Book of Mormon, she told her what the men were doing in the room above and that the power of God was so great in the room that they could hardly endure it. At times, angels were in the room in their glory which nearly consumed them. The light that shone from Joseph and Oliver's faces came from their having been with the angels. This explanation was reasonable enough and satisfied Sarah. She not only stayed with the Whitmers, but she also became one of Joseph's good friends. She was baptized, and much later, after she and the other saints were driven from Nauvoo, she settled with them in Provo, Utah. Joseph never told his readers how he translated the Book of Mormon, except to say that he used the Urim and Thummim, and that he did it by the gift and power of God. But there are some interesting indications that he had help from other angels besides Moroni. Sarah's is the earliest of a number of accounts that testify that at times, when the prophet was receiving revelation, or was in the presence of heavenly beings, he, like Moses, actually glowed. Wilford Woodruff tried to describe the prophet's appearance on one of those occasions. He said, His face was clear as amber. Philo Dibble, who was present when the prophet received the revelation that is now the 76th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, reported Joseph wore black clothes, but at this time seemed to be dressed in an element of glorious white. Sarah's testimony that the men who were working on the translation of the Book of Mormon looked so exceedingly white combined with Mrs. Whitmer's explanation that angels were in the room in their glory which nearly consumed them, gives a valuable key to understanding the Book of Mormon and to knowing how it was translated. One may assume that if there were angels in the room, they had some purpose for being there other than just to pass the time of day. Their presence in the translating room certainly had an impact upon the ultimate outcome of Joseph's work. Angels Help Joseph Translate Neither Joseph Smith, nor Oliver Cowdery, nor the Whitmers, nor Sarah Conrad left any record identifying who the angels were. But others also knew, and they have given some important information about who the angels might have been. Elder Parley P. Pratt did not identify the angels by name, but he testified that through Joseph Smith, 
and the ministration of holy angels to him, that book came forth to the world. His brother Orson added that during those years Joseph was often ministered to by the angels of God and received instructions from them. President John Taylor, who was a dear friend and confidant of the prophet Joseph, mentioned some of the angels by name. He said, Again, who more likely than Mormon and Nephi, and some of those prophets who had ministered to the people upon this continent, under the influence of the same gospel, to operate again as its representatives? Who more likely than those who had officiated in the holy Melchizedek priesthood to administer to Joseph Smith and reveal unto him the great principles which were developed? Well now, do I believe that Joseph Smith saw the several angels alleged to have been seen by him as described one after another? Yes, I do. On another occasion when President Taylor was discussing the restoration of the gospel, he said, I can tell you what he, Joseph, told me about it. Then he told his story. Afterwards, the angel Moroni came to him and revealed to him the Book of Mormon, with the history of which you are generally familiar, and also with the statements that I am now making pertaining to these things. And then came Nephi, one of the ancient prophets that had lived upon this continent, who had an interest in the welfare of the people that he had lived amongst in those days. President Taylor was even more explicit in another address to the saints. And when Joseph Smith was raised up as a prophet of God, Mormon, Moroni, Nephi, and others of the ancient prophets who formerly lived on this continent, and Peter and others who lived on the Asiatic continent, came to him and communicated to him certain principles pertaining to the gospel of the Son of God. Why? Because they held the keys of the various dispensations and confirmed them upon him and he upon us. He was indebted to God, and we are indebted to God and to him for all the intelligence that we have on these subjects. Similarly, President George Q. Cannon once assured his listeners, The Prophet Joseph had doubtless also visits from Nephi, and it may be from Alma and others. He was visited constantly by angels. Moroni, in the beginning, as you know, to prepare him for his mission, came and ministered and talked to him from time to time. And he had vision after vision, in order that his mind might be fully saturated with the knowledge of the things of God and that he might comprehend the great and holy calling that God has bestowed upon him. Joseph said very little about his meeting with Book of Mormon prophets other than Moroni. However, in the famous letter to John Wentworth, the one in which he wrote the Articles of Faith, the prophet explained that the Book of Mormon came forth only after having received many visits from the angels of God unfolding the majesty and glory of the events that should transpire in the last days. The many visits could, of course, have all been from Moroni. But Moroni is only one angel, and Joseph wrote that he had received many visits from the angels. That statement by the prophet, coupled with those of his friends, leads one to conclude that the translation of the Book of Mormon was something of a joint effort between Moroni, Joseph Smith, who used the Urim and Thummim, Nephi, probably more than one Nephi, Alma, Mormon, and other original authors of the Book of Mormon. One cannot read the Book of Mormon without noticing the Lord's promises to the prophets that their messages would be passed on to the people in the last days. It is not surprising, then, that those same prophets who wrote those messages should be present with Joseph while he was translating their own writings. If the original authors did help in the translation of their own parts of the book, that would guarantee that the English version of the Book of Mormon says just exactly what the authors wanted it to say. If it were that important that the words in the Book of Mormon say precisely what they were intended to say, then it is just as important that when one reads the book, one reads to learn with real accuracy 
what it says. Many who read newspapers, magazines, or novels have trained their eyes to fly quickly over the words, hesitating only long enough to harvest the gist of the sentences. This reading habit costs them little in understanding. It efficiently lets them know what the authors mean without troubling the reader with knowing exactly what the author says. But if we bring that habit into play when we read the scriptures, it may prevent us from knowing any but the most superficial of meanings. If we do not take into conscious account the fact that its words were selected with extraordinary care, we may be caught making incorrect assumptions about the Book of Mormon by asking vital questions in the wrong order. If one asks, what is the meaning of this passage, before one is asked, what do the words actually say, the real meaning may ever evade this casual reader. The reason for that is that if we read too casually and assume a meaning before reading the real intent of the words, we may miss that intent entirely. Here's an example. Quickly read the closing words of Helaman's letter to Captain Moroni. And now, my beloved brother Moroni, may the Lord our God, who has redeemed us and made us free, keep you continually in his presence, yea, and may he favor this people, even that ye may have success in obtaining the possession of all that which the Lamanites have taken from us, which was for our support. And now, because I close mine epistle, I am Helaman, the son of Alma. Now consider the four following scriptures. The first is the story of the Savior's coming to the brother of Jared. And when he had said these words, behold, the Lord showed himself unto him, and said, Because thou knowest these things, ye are redeemed, present tense, from the fall. Therefore ye are brought, present tense, back into my presence. Therefore I show, present tense, myself unto you. Behold, I am he who was prepared from the foundation of the world to redeem my people. Behold, I am Jesus Christ. I am the Father and the Son. In me shall all mankind have life, and that eternally, even they who shall believe on my name, and they shall become my sons and my daughters. In that scripture, the brother of Jared's redemption happened at the same time as he saw the Savior. In the next example, Lehi is talking to his son Jacob, who was redeemed because he had seen the Savior in the past. And now, Jacob, I speak unto you. Thou art my firstborn in the days of my tribulation in the wilderness, and behold, in thy childhood thou hast suffered afflictions and much sorrow because of the rudeness of thy brethren. Nevertheless, Jacob, my firstborn in the wilderness, thou knowest the greatness of God, and he shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain. Wherefore, thy soul shall be blessed, and thou shalt dwell safely with thy brother Nephi, and thy days shall be spent in the service of thy God. Wherefore, I know that thou art redeemed, present tense, because of the righteousness of thy Redeemer, for thou hast beheld, past tense, that in the fullness of time he cometh to bring salvation unto men. And thou hast beheld, past tense, in thy youth, his glory. Wherefore, thou art blessed, even as they unto whom he shall minister in the flesh. For the Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the way is prepared from the fall of man, and salvation is free. The third example is spoken by Lehi about himself. But behold, the Lord hath redeemed, past tense, my soul from hell. I have beheld his glory, and I am encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. This final example is Samuel the Lamanite explaining the Savior's atonement and the last judgment. For behold, he surely must die, that salvation may come. Yea, it behooveth him, and becometh expedient, that he dieth, to bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, 
that thereby men may be brought into the presence of the Lord. Yea, behold, this death bringeth to pass the resurrection, and redeemeth all mankind from the first death, that spiritual death for all mankind, by the fall of Adam being cut off from the presence of the Lord, are considered as dead, both as to things temporal and to things spiritual. So in the Book of Mormon, a meaning of the word redeem is that one has come into the presence of the Savior. Now in that context, reread the last two words of Helaman's letter. And now, my beloved brother, Moroni, may the Lord our God who has redeemed, past tense, us, both of them, and made us free, probably not a reference to political freedom, May the Lord our God, who has redeemed us and made us free, keep you continually in his presence. Yea, and may he favor this people, even that ye may have success in obtaining the possession of all that which the Lamanites have taken from us, which was for our support. And now, behold, I close mine epistle. I am Helaman, the son of Alma. With this second reading, one discovers not only a wonderful new facet of both men's biographies, but also an entirely enhanced sense of the meaning of Helaman's greeting, my beloved brother, Moroni. The Savior struggled with his contemporaries over the problem of their hearing his words, but not their meaning. He asked, Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? The words in the Book of Mormon can be relied on to convey the correct message, if one will read them to discover what they actually say. Then, having first learned what the words say, one can, with the help of the Spirit, also discover what they mean. The Testimony of the Three Witnesses After Joseph and Oliver moved to the Whitmer's home, it took only about a month for them to finish the translation. Joseph worked on it almost constantly. Occasionally, when Oliver got tired, one of David's younger brothers, usually John, took his place at the writing table. Even though Martin Harris could no longer write for Joseph, he was still interested in the project and sometimes visited his young friend at the Whitmer farm. One of those visits occurred about the time Joseph translated the fifth chapter of Ether, which contains the promise that God would appoint three witnesses to see the plates and testify of a surety that these things are true. After Joseph read this promise, Martin Harris, Oliver Cowdery, and David Whitmer said they wanted to be those witnesses. In their enthusiasm, they asked, then begged Joseph to ask the Lord for permission to show them the plates. Joseph did so and was told that his friends could see them if they had sufficient faith and had a great desire to assist the work of the Lord, and a great desire to assist in the work of the Lord. In this revelation, the Savior also promised that they might see other things that they had not asked to see. He mentioned the Urim and Thummim, the breastplate, the Leahona, and the sword of Laban. But they could not see them now. They had to wait until the translation was finished. So Joseph and Oliver went on with their work. Martin returned home, and David continued to attend to his duties on the farm. On the day when the translation was completed, Joseph and Oliver talked together in the field where David was plowing and told him they were finished. Joseph sent a message to his parents telling them the good news and inviting them to join him at the Whitmer farm. They, in turn, told Martin Harris, for, as Mrs. Smith observed, they still loved him, even though his weaknesses had caused them many troubles. When Martin heard the news, he asked the Smiths if he could go with them, and the next morning they all set out together. The evening they arrived at the Whitmer farm, they all read together from the completed translation of the Book of Mormon. 
The next morning they gathered again to continue to read. After the usual services, namely reading, singing, and praying, Joseph arose from his knees and said to Martin Harris, You have got to humble yourself before God this day, that you may obtain a forgiveness of your sins. If you do, it is the will of God that you should look upon the plates in company with Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer. A few minutes later, those four, Joseph, Martin, Oliver, and David, left the others and walked together into the woods near the house. Joseph did not carry the plates with him. Moroni had them and would show them to the three witnesses himself. Joseph Smith, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris each left detailed accounts of what they saw and heard that morning. They are dissimilar enough to enable one to see the event from their different perspectives, but near enough alike that they confirm each other's testimonies. Joseph Smith's account reads as follows. Not many days after the above commandment was given, we four... Martin Harris, David Whitmer, Oliver Cowdery, and myself agreed to retire into the woods and try to obtain, by fervent and humble prayer, the fulfillment of the promises given in the above revelation, that they should have a view of the plates. We accordingly made choice of a piece of woods, convenient to Mr. Whitmer's house, to which we retired, and having knelt down, we began to pray in much faith to Almighty God to bestow upon us a realization of these promises. According to previous arrangement, I commenced prayer to our Heavenly Father, and was followed by each of the others in succession. We did not at first trial, however, obtain any answer or manifestation of divine favor in our behalf. We again observed the same order of prayer, each calling on and praying fervently to God in rotation, but with the same result as before. Upon this, our second failure, Martin Harris proposed that he should withdraw himself from us, believing, as he expressed himself, that his presence was the cause of our not obtaining what we wished for. He accordingly withdrew from us, and we knelt down again, and had not been many minutes engaged in prayer when presently we beheld a light above us in the air of exceeding brightness, and behold, an angel stood before us. In his hands he held the plates, which we had been praying for these to have a view of. He turned over the leaves one by one, so that we could see them and discern the engravings thereon distinctly. He then addressed himself to David Whitmer and said, David, blessed is the Lord, and he that keepeth his commandments. When immediately afterwards we heard a voice from out of the bright light above us saying, These plates have been revealed by the power of God, and they have been translated by the power of God. The translation of them which you have seen is correct, and I command you to bear record of what you now see and hear. I now left David and Oliver, and went in pursuit of Martin Harris, whom I found at a considerable distance, fervently engaged in prayer. He soon told me, however, that he had not yet prevailed with the Lord, and earnestly requested me to join him in prayer, that he also might realize the same blessings which we had just received. We accordingly joined him in prayer, and ultimately obtained our desires, for before we had yet finished, the same vision was open to our view. At least it was again open to me, and I once more beheld and heard the same things, whilst at the same moment Martin Harris cried out apparently in an ecstasy of joy, "'Tis enough, tis enough! Mine eyes have beheld! Mine eyes have beheld!" And he shouted, "'Hosanna! Blessing God, and otherwise rejoiced exceedingly!' Even though David Whitmer was an old man when he was interviewed by Orson Pratt, he described his experience with vivid memory. It was June, 1829, the latter part of the month, 
and the eight witnesses saw them, I think, the next day or the day after, i.e. one or two days after. Joseph showed them the plates himself, but the angel showed us, the three witnesses, the plates, as I suppose, to fill the words of the book itself. Martin Harris was not with us at this time. He obtained a view of them afterwards, the same day. Joseph, Oliver, and myself were together when I saw them. We not only saw the plates of the Book of Mormon, but we also saw the brass plates, the plates of the Book of Ether, the plates containing the records of the wickedness and secret combinations of the people of the world down to the time of their being engraved, and many other plates. The fact is that it was just as though Joseph, Oliver, and I were sitting just here on a log when we were overshadowed by a light. It was not like the light of the sun, nor that of a fire, but more glorious and beautiful. It extended away round us. I cannot tell how far, but in the midst of this light, about as far off as he sits, pointing to John C. Whitmer, sitting a few feet from him, there appeared, as it were, a table with many records or plates upon it, besides the plates of the Book of Mormon, also the sword of Laban, the directors, i.e. the ball which Lehi had, and the interpreters. I saw them just as plain as I see this bed, striking the bed beside him with his hand. And I heard the voice of the Lord as distinctly as I ever heard anything in my life, declaring that the records of the plates of the Book of Mormon were translated by the gift and power of God. Pratt said, Did you see the angel at this time? Whitmer, Yes, he stood before us. Our testimony as recorded in the Book of Mormon is strictly and absolutely true, just as it is there written. Martin Harris was not present when David and Oliver saw Moroni in the plates, but his account, also given in an interview, was essentially the same as David's. Brother Harris said that the angel stood on the opposite side of the table, on which were the plates, the interpreters, etc., and took the plates in his hand and turned them over. To more fully illustrate this to them, Brother Martin took up a book and turned the leaves over one by one. The angel declared that the Book of Mormon was correctly translated by the power of God and not of man and that it contained the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Nephites, who were a branch of the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and had come from the land of Jerusalem to America. The witnesses were required to bear their testimony of these things, and of this open vision to all people, and he, Harris, testified, not only to those present, but to all the world, that these things were true, and before God, whom he expected to meet in the day of judgment, he lied not." After they had seen the plates, Joseph may not have jumped up and shouted for joy, as Martin did, but his happiness was no less exquisite. Now there were three men who knew, as surely as Joseph knew, the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. Joseph's mother gave a feel for what that meant to the young prophet. She recalled, When they returned to the house, it was between 3 and 4 o'clock p.m. Mrs. Whitmer, Mr. Smith, and myself were sitting in a bedroom at the time. On coming in, Joseph threw himself down beside me and exclaimed, Father, Mother, you do not know how happy I am. The Lord has now caused the plates to be shown to three more besides myself. They have seen an angel who has testified to them, and they will have to bear witness to the truth of what I have said. For now they know for themselves that I do not go about to deceive the people, and I feel as if I was relieved of a burden which was almost too heavy for me to bear." and it rejoices my soul that I am not any longer to be entirely alone in this world. Upon this, Martin Harris came in. He seemed almost overcome with joy and testified boldly to what he had both seen and heard. 
And so did David and Oliver, adding that no tongue could express the joy of their hearts and the greatness of the things which they had both seen and heard. One can sense Joseph's feeling of relief where his history records that the three witnesses were now obliged to fulfill the commandments which they had received, vis-a-vis to bear record of these things. To formally do this, they drew up and subscribed to the testimony of three witnesses, which is published in every copy of the Book of Mormon. The Testimony of the Eight Witnesses The day after the three witnesses saw the plates, Joseph's parents and Martin Harris returned to their homes in Palmyra. The prophet, anxious to make arrangements to have the Book of Mormon published, followed them about a week later. Oliver and all the Whitmer family went with him to Palmyra and were guests at the Smith home. Not long after they arrived, all the men among the visitors, along with Joseph, his father, and his brothers Samuel and Hiram, walked to a place in the woods near the Smith home. It was a special place to the family, for they often met there for prayer. After the men gathered... Joseph left them and went deeper into the woods, where he met Moroni. The angel gave Joseph the plates to carry back to his friends. The twelve men present were Joseph, the three witnesses, plus eight others who had not previously seen the plates. Joseph let each one take the golden book into his hands and examine it carefully. They paid a special attention to the delicate writing that had been engraved into the metal pages. They did not see the angel or hear the voice, but they knew the plates were real and that Joseph actually had them. The eight, who had not previously seen the plates, signed their names to the testimony of the eight witnesses. That is also printed in each copy of the Book of Mormon. After they had seen the plates, the eleven men returned to the Smith home, but Joseph remained behind to return the plates to Moroni. The eight witnesses were Christian Whitmer, Hiram Page, Jacob Whitmer, Joseph Smith Sr., Peter Whitmer Jr., Hiram Smith, John Whitmer, and Samuel H. Smith. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rare Possessions Podcast. Please stay tuned to the conclusion of our series on the book Joseph and Moroni, The Seven Principles Moroni Taught Joseph Smith by Legrand L. Baker in our next episode next week. Stay subscribed to the Rare Possessions Podcast every week for a new episode of the Rare Possessions Podcast from Book of Mormon Central.